talking about this idea of carrying the kingdom and talking about people throughout the Bible, talking about God's story and times of people carrying the kingdom at different, at different moments. And today we're going we're gonna to tell some of those stories. I'm going to share a couple of Bible stories. I'm going to tell a story about, about one of you, and then we're going to go from there. But today I know a lot of you are wondering, why am I wearing this? And some of the, the, the Nutcracker moms, actually, that I've been working with this last week came to church this morning and decided they had nothing better to do with their Sunday morning, uh, so they're going to come listen to me prattle on. But I want to tell you a little story, a little fun story, uh, because I think it matters. Um, so uh, Ella's, this is her second year in the Nutcracker. And you basically lose your life uh, for about two weeks. You're up there till midnight, and the parents and the kids are exhausted, and the parents get cranky, and we just have a great time together. Now, if you've, if you've gone to the Nutcracker this year, you know that there's this huge display where they sell Nutcrackers, right, that support the guild. And people go there, and you buy these you know, cute ornaments, and it supports the kids, and buy scholarships and point shoes and all kinds of fun stuff. Well, the parents volunteer their time to, to doing this. And so last year was my first year. Now, if you guys know Haley and me, which a lot of you do, maybe you've come to our marriage group or other things, you realize that in our home, things function a little differently, right? Uh, Haley's schedule is not as flexible as mine, and so we've kind of found something that works for us. I, I pick up the kids from school. I do the grocery shopping. You know, I run the kids around. And so I have a little bit more time to volunteer. I usually work in the mornings until I pick my kids up, and then I go out again at night, right? So I kind of break up my day a little bit. So anytime we go on a school field trip or anytime we go do something like, say, the Nutcracker, what happens is identical. It's always a sea of moms and Sheldon, okay? It's just the way that it works. I'm so used to it. It doesn't even bother me anymore. Well, last year, we, uh, w- when we served, we were unboxing these nutcrackers, putting them on the tables, getting everything ready. Again, it's this, you know, the Dance Moms and Sheldon. I, I think I'm going to get a Dance Mom shirt uh, next year. I think it'll be really good. But then we, we get these free T-shirts. We get these shirts because we serve. And I got this one, which is really, this I got last year, okay, the nutcracker shirt, right? And I brought this home, and Haley said, I'm pretty sure that's a woman's shirt. And I said, I don't care, I earned it, and I'm going to wear it. (laughs) And so, because, listen, there's a lot of work, okay? I don't care, it does tend to blouse a little in uh, weird, (laughs) anyway. So, uh, yeah. As I was preparing the sermon, I thought, how do I segue from that into a Bible story? (laughs) They're just... So I'm just going to tell the Bible story. Why not? That's just, that's just what I do. When we read the Old Testament, when we end the, the book of Genesis, we see that there's the story of Joseph and his family. And they all end up in Egypt. And when you turn the page from the end of the book of Genesis, Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, what it says is there's a new pharaoh, a new king that arises who doesn't know Joseph or his family. And he sees how, how numerous the Israelites are and so decides to enslave them. And Egypt, for the Israelites, turns into a penal colony. Right? They're just working them to death, and for 400 years they are enslaved. And, and the Pharaoh even does some atrocious things as he realizes that there are young men coming up. They're, they're afraid that the Egyptian army will not be able to ward off all these new warriors that are coming. And so what happens is he decides to do a cult, 
and any boy, any male under two years is killed. We see the same story with Jesus. Remember when Jesus is born and Herod says, kill all the boys that are under two because he's afraid that a new king will rise. It's really the same story span across multiple millennia. But what happens is Moses, this young baby who's under two, his mother is fearful, puts him in a basket, floats him down the river. He happens to kind of kind of wash up where Pharaoh's daughter is bathing. She decides, I've always wanted a nice doll. She goes to her dad. She says, can I keep him? Her dad doesn't say no because they probably have a good relationship or whatever it is. He gets raised as an Egyptian in that, in that environment. But then he learns who he is. And he realizes that God's people are being oppressed. The people of God are calling out and saying, God, when are you going to rescue us? And Moses kind of decides to take this burden on leading them in this moment. And he has an altercation with an Egyptian. It doesn't go well. He ends up killing the man. Now out of fear of retribution or justice, he flees. He flees to a place called Midian. And he leaves behind this life that he once knew. He gets married. He tends sheep. He's out in the fields. And when you read the story in the book of Exodus, Moses is 80 years old when he has the burning bush experience. And God says, you're going to go back and you're going to lead my people through this. And he does what we all do. He argues with God. Always a good idea, right? Oh, I'm not the right guy. I don't speak so good. All this kind of stuff. And God says, that doesn't matter. I want you to go. And Moses finally is convinced, makes his way back to Egypt, stands before Pharaoh. And he says, you need to let God's people go. No. And then there's plagues, there's frogs and flies and boils and all these other things that happen. And finally, it is with the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt, when Egypt knows the grief that 40 years ago they incurred on almost every Israelite family, the firstborn, every family in Egypt is affected by the sacrifice for freedom. It's amazing, but when God frees people, there's always sacrifice involved. The Egyptians pay it for the Israelites to be free. And the Israelites go through the desert, and they cross the Red Sea, and they get the law on Mount Sinai. But something happens along the way. Listen, Moses is a pretty good guy. He's got his problems. He makes mistakes like we all do. But overall, he's a pretty good guy. But there's a couple of times where God tells him to do something specifically, and he disobeys. There are times when the people have no water, and he's told to go up and speak to a rock, and water comes forth, or, or strike the rock different times. And there's one time that God says, I want you to go and speak to this rock, and he goes and he strikes it instead, probably because he's frustrated, like any of us would be, because all he's heard is grumbling and complaining all the time. And God says, because you've been disobedient, you're not going to enter the, the promised land. And so there is this story that takes place where Moses passes the mantle to Joshua. Now, if you remember a few weeks, a few weeks ago, I, I talked about um, when I shared with you that, that my family and I would be, would be leaving in the next few weeks. I used the analogy that a friend of mine gave to me. Not, please don't misunderstand. I do not think of myself as, as Moses at all. But I think that the imagery works. That the one that takes them through the desert is not the one who takes them into the promised land. Joshua is the one 
he takes people into the promised land. About a month ago, a pastor friend and I were down at Taladura Canyon, and I took this little, this little video, this little time-lapse video, which is a cool feature that you can do. We were right there at sunrise. Uh, have you ever watched the sunrise over a canyon or over a mountain or over an ocean? It's just epic. It's beautiful. It never loses its power, does it? No matter how many times you see it, there is still wonder and awe as we experience the sun coming up, a new day being born in a new place. The colors change. We get to experience something. You, you feel so small, especially standing next to a canyon, but also watching God's faithfulness working in silence. There's another part of the canyon that kind of snakes around, and I don't know why, but I was standing up there. Uh, you can see it sort of going around to the left. And I imagine, as I, uh, in that moment, while I was standing there, I had this, this I don't want to call it a vision, but I just had this insight that was like, this is probably what it was like. The, the moment that Moses passed the mantle to Joshua. Now, I imagine, it, it doesn't say this in the text, but I would imagine people did not like that idea. When Moses got up and said, hey, I'm not going with you, Joshua is going to take you. I guarantee you the people were like, no, 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 that's not, we're, we're, no, why not? God told me it's time to, for, for somebody else to lead. No, 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 we're, we're going to stay right here and we're going to just pray until God changes his mind. You've brought us this far. We're comfortable with you. We're happy with you. We want you to take us. And Moses says, but that's not God's story. God's story is that Joshua needs to take you. And I want to just kind of pause for a second and say, I imagine this is kind of the view that Moses had. And when they finally decided to follow Joshua, I bet he stood on the top of that mountain and watched until every last one of them slipped behind the next canyon. It was probably a difficult moment for him, but he watched it happen. And hopefully there was the light in his heart that the story of God's people at that time continued forward, even though it didn't continue forward with him. I've thought about that story a lot in recent days, and I want to give some encouragement from that story. Listen, guys, Journey Church is God's church, and he's going to take care of it. And sometimes our comfort or attachment with the leader is not where God is taking things. And I want to encourage you, when a new leader comes in, don't look with eyes of criticism. Don't, don't look with what's different. Just love them where they are. Accept them. Walk with them. Every time you want to point out something that's not the same as it used to be, kind of hold yourself back and say, you know what? God's story is moving forward, and our job is not to critique this person or critique God's story. It's about following who God puts in place. What I love about this is simply, is simply this, and I, don't, I, don't, I say this honestly, not lightly, but there's something powerful about the text that happens, that they read, the text today, that Joshua at the end of his life calls the people out and he says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors who they served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in those lands you are living. But as for me and my house, 
we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to wholeheartedly serve God. If you read the rest of the, bu- of the book of Joshua, only the, that last chapter, it tells us something that never happens again. It tells us that for the entirety of the life of Joshua, the people are faithful to the Lord. Every other leader leads people well for a while and then struggles maybe with their own challenges or their own struggles. And something powerful happens. They serve God the entire time Joshua is their leader. Which tells me this. That's a good part of the story for this week. The next leader will be better than that. Because that is how faithful God Another story of carrying the kingdom happens just a few chapters later in the book of Judges. Uh, The word for Judges is not sort of somebody that has a gavel and a hammer and all that kind of stuff. It's it's, uh, a judge is just a nice way of talking about a leader. And there's a story of a leader named Gideon. It's in Judges chapter 6. And Israel is kind kind of doing their own thing again, and they're not really being super obedient, and things, bad things are starting to happen. And so God raises up a new leader. And the story of Gideon is one of my favorites. It it always is one of my favorites because he's hiding in a cave in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. He's just kind of, he's kind of being the ultimate introvert and just kind of tending to himself and taking care of his basic needs day in and day out. Just enough flour to make just enough bread to last one more day. And God calls him and he says, you are a mighty warrior. And Gideon Wait, who are you talking to? I'm talking to you. You must have the wrong Gideon. I, I understand the confusion, right? You, you, you clicked the wrong Facebook profile. I'm not, I, I'm a different Gideon. There's plenty of good Gideons. I'm not one of them. He says, you're going to be a warrior. You're going to lead God's people to victory, and they're going to not be enslaved once again. And then he does what we all do. He argues with God. Always a good idea. And he says, I'm not going to do that. God, I'm weak. In fact, I'm the runt of the litter in my own family. I'm the, I'm the black sheep. Nobody cares about my opinion. And God has the best response. He says, yeah, that's kind of why I'm choosing you. Because when something great happens, no one's going to be confused that it was you. What a terrible thing to say to someone. But that's what God says. He says, it's going to be me in you that's going to do something great. I want you to gather an army, and you're going to fight the battle. Gideon says, okay, 32,000 men show up. He's thinking, hey, we're doing pretty good. This might actually work. God says, why don't you get up and make an announcement and say, if any of you want to go home, just go ahead and go. 22,000 walk away. they got 10,000 left. Uh-oh. He says, take them down to the river. Let them take a drink. And the ones that put their face in the water, send them home. The ones that lift the water to their faces, those are the ones you take. He's left with 300 men. The army of the enemy is probably 50 to 100,000. And God says, yeah, that's good enough. Let's go. Let's fight. But Gideon accepts the challenge. He picks up the mantle. And he probably thinks, as all of us would, okay, I guess the sacrifice of freedom is all these men dying, including myself. They go, they surround the city, 
God does something amazing. The enemies just kill each other. They go in to finish a few off, and that's it. God gives them a great victory. God does something powerful because somebody was willing to step into the gap and be patient. You know, that's what volunteering is. That's what sharing is. That's why we want to honor people who step in the gap because not everybody does. You know, I want to tell you, since it's Appreciation Sunday, I want to tell you somebody that I appreciate more, uh, more than anybody in my ministry, um, and that would be my wife, my wife Haley. Okay? We've walked together for... Uh, We've walked together for, for 16 years. We've known each other about, about 20. The first 10 years that I was in ministry, I was single. And Haley didn't choose to marry a pastor, but she did. And something that happened in our lives was very, was very powerful. One gift that Haley gave me, she never made me choose between my ministry and her. She never guilted me into saying, hey, now, now we do have some conversations sometimes when she's like, hey, you've been out five nights this week, and we need you at home some too. I, I want you to kind of, and we, we can have those conversations all day. We've learned how to have those conversations. But she's never been resentful or critical because she knows the passion of ministry that is in my heart. I kind of tell people this a lot of times, maybe the reason why Haley and I are, are still in love is because I've been married to my work and she's always been the mistress, so to speak. I know that's kind of a dirty thing to say, but you know what I mean. But you get what I'm saying. She never kind of said you have to choose between your marriage and your ministry, never. And I can't tell you what a gift that is to a person who's in ministry, because ministry is complicated. Listen, your family always comes first, but in ministry it's complicated. It's just a tough balance to have. But what we need is we need people that support us and love us and can have hard conversations, but do that in a way that shows appreciation for who we are. I've seen many of my pastor friends, I've talked to many of them that said, I've started in ministry, things are getting hectic, and things at home are struggling. What do I do? And I try to walk them through this. And some people give up ministry and some people give up marriages which usually ends in them giving up ministry as well. But being in, in supportive roles is powerful. And Haley, I, I love you and I thank you for always being beside me and not standing in front of me, often standing behind me and, and pushing me hard. I mean, after a little, you know, but, but pushing me. You know, after I went through a wound about 10 years ago with the church, which most church, I, I started to learn in this process, most times pastors leave, leave churches bad, right? There's always something big that happened or something that went wrong. And I've, I've learned from you that none of us really know how, how a good parting of pastors and churches goes because we've really never seen it. But when I first came out here, right before I came out here, uh, I was really questioning, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? Because... It's hard. Ministry is difficult. And she, we were you know, brushing our teeth one morning, and she just looked over me, and in the way that she knows me well, she just said, you've got another one in you. It'll be okay. And it was that moment that I said, okay, I'm going to do it. Because I knew I had a part. And that makes all the difference in the world. To 
the people that support you in your life, the people that maybe at times help carry the load of ministry or the load of kingdom with you, tell them thank you. Tell them that you love them. Tell them that you appreciate the sacrifices that they make so that you get to do what you desire to do. We appreciate those volunteers, all of you that volunteer. And a lot of you do. There's going to be, what, an appreciation lunch. It's not near a payment for what you've done. It just is to say we recognize that you are answering God's call, that you are sacrificing your time and your talents so that others might know God's story. There are children who will know Jesus because you gave up a Sunday morning. That's powerful. That's wonderful. So thank you for all that you do. Father, this morning, just thank you so much for inviting us into this place, uh, sharing your word with us, sharing your stories with us. And God, I know it's so easy for us to uh, find excuses or reasons why we, why we don't want to serve or we don't want to give or we don't want to participate in something. But Father, we just, we just thank you so much. I thank you so much for people at this church that are willing to, to step in the gap, to serve, to help. Uh, I thank you for people who are willing to give to a mission for children that they will never meet, but they're willing to give up maybe a few Starbucks or a meal out so that someone can go to school with shoes or with a backpack or with school supplies. Father, I just pray today that you would just remind us how generous you are with us. And may we have the courage to be generous towards you as we well. We thank you for this time today as we continue to worship. Please bless us. And we ask this all through Jesus and the church together.